This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Hold on, let me let me try that again. <clears throat> Good Friday morning to you. Mike McMurray in for a Friday edition of All Marine Radio. Right here on your home for it. The All Warrior Radio Network. Hope you've had a good week. End of January. Yeah, all you people living through the winter in the Midwest, the Upper Midwest, the Northeast, the Mideast, the Mid-Atlantic, I think they call it. Um, yeah. February, March, then April. Yeah. So you, got, so you only got another two months of it left. Not even 60 days. So, yeah, you got that going for you. Uh, the Mensa Brothers joined me this morning. So without further ado, here they are. It's Friday now. Used to be Thursday, but now it's Friday. And uh, joining me are my friends, the Mensa Brothers, and uh, Jeff Kenny, who seemed to uh, take uh, great delight in being introduced first. Who knew such a thing would make him so happy? And so why not, right? Jeff, how are you? Where are you? Eastern White House, Western White House? Where are you and how are you? I'm in the Western White House, right near, I'm in the San Clemente Inn, adjacent to Richard Nixon's old house. Where I should... Essentially the Blair House of the White House. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I'm, I'm staying here for a couple of days, but uh, good. I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Got it. Got it. From McAllen, you're... Texas. Pardon me? Hope you're doing good too. Yep. Yep. I, I, I am. Uh, Tim Lynch joins me. Tim, how are you? All's good out here in the southern border, my friend. Nice and cool. Overcast. I love it. All right. We'll enjoy it while it's there because yeah. probably not going to be around for long. No, the sun will be back soon. Right, right, right. And then uh, from the greater Kansas City, Kansas area, Will Cosentini joins us. Will, how are you? I'm good. I'll tell you, uh, Kansas City has been a good place to be the last couple of days because everyone stayed home Monday and Tuesday. They went from euphoria to despair to euphoria, and I think they've been hung over for at least two days beginning of the week. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty impressive football game. That, that kid who plays for Buffalo, what, 6'6", 245? <laughs> you see him take off running – and like playoff game, right? He drops his shoulder and he's running over linebackers. It's like, okay, we need to get that kid into the right age grouping, okay, the right weight class, because <laughs> this is not how this works. 
Um, and Mahomes, uh, I don't know if you're a football fan, uh, the weekend was crazy. It was awesome. And that game was heavyweight game, but with 13 seconds left, that was pretty amazing. But middle mistake, bu- Buffalo's got to kick it on the ground and run a few seconds off, and uh, no excuse for that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I don't suppose to be an NFL coach and know – the intricacies of the cover two defense, but it is amazing to me how many sort of gamesmanship strategic errors NFL coaches make throughout the year. And I thought that was a huge one. Yeah. Kick it down the middle, take six seconds off, run the first play. You tackle all their receivers that runs all the time off the clock. You take a holding penalty and they got to throw a hail Mary from the 40. Um, That's something we would have done on the sandlot, right? Well, you know, my, my dad, who was major league baseball manager, he, uh, you know, he, he used to tell me as a, as a kid, uh, "There's no excuse for mental mistakes. Physical mistakes, <laughs> physical mistakes happen in sports. You boot a ball, you know, you you slip and fall. Uh, physical mistakes happen. Mental mistakes, right? Having your head in the game for the couple hours that we're doing this, no excuse. And there's no excuse for lack of hustle." He said, you know the requirement for hustle? Yes, Dad. You just have to want to. And and, and I'll tell you what, a lot of that uh, same thing applies in the Marine Corps, right? Oh, for sure. Right? You said a mouthful. There you go. To have your head in the game while we're doing this stuff, you know, if we're going to play life and death games, maybe, right? And And to hustle to get after it while we're doing this, maybe, boys and girls. So, yeah, but you see mental mistakes. Um, the week before, my team, the 49ers, they had the game against the Cowboys won with like 59 seconds left. It's fourth and an inch, right? And their quarterback, who's dynamically stupid, so when the play goes dynamic, he, he can't do it, right? But they motion the, t- the left tackle, Trent Williams, to the right side of the line of scrimmage, and they they ba- they imbalance the line. Well, he never goes in motion. So if you're a professional quarterback, what's the one thing about this play that is unique that I probably ought to supervise? Williams getting set. What do you think he doesn't allow? Williams get getting set. So they go, they make the first down, and then they get flagged for you know illegal motion. And you're like, this guy, dude, this is why we pay you all those gazillion dollars to have your head in the game. And to supervise this, so yeah, but it, Cowboys, I agree with you, Will. It is amazing when you see at that level some of the mental mistakes get made. Well, the Cowboys can always one up you on decision making errors. So that, <laughs> that one ended as that was typical. It really didn't matter what he did, but yeah, that was yeah. But not, but again, I and again, I've been a student since I was a little kid. You know, on the, on the drive home, you know, with my dad. Hey, why did you do this? Why did you do that? You know, and you hear this, well, if I'm going to set this up in the eighth and ninth inning, this guy's got to go here, this guy's got to go do that. And so, I mean, really, I got raised to be a platoon commander by my dad, right? The tactics of a baseball game, right? How you how you match up, create matchups and weaponeer against somebody else. And then after the game, you know, why were you in there so long with the door shut? So-and-so was having problems at home with his wife. She miscarried, they're struggling, and so... He, you know, his dad's not around, you know, you know, and so I, I, 
Yeah. And so I didn't know shit about the Marine Corps. I joined, I signed it. They, they showed me a picture of an F-18. Hey, how'd you like to fly this? Would they let me? <laughs> well, if you can if you can qualify, sure. Why not? Right? Come on. And then I get to the basic school and I start, you know, learning what it is to be a Marine. And you know, I, I knew the story of Marine infantry. I thought the team is is the infantry man. This that's the first string in this organization. And I know I know how to do that. I've done that my whole life. I've hung out. I've been on teams. And I've you know watched my dad. I know I can do that. So, yeah, interesting. interesting. Right, there might be a lot more to it than what you what you thought, though, man. Oh no, you know what? Um, abs- I mean, yeah. absolutely. But I mean, my, my brain, in terms of engineering matchups and 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 learning how to handle people and and all the rest of that stuff, I'd had a, you know, I I watched my dad do it forever, and so it was you, you know you. You're making it sound like being a, a really effective and good infantry platoon leader is an easy task. And one of the reasons why I think we consistently overrate our adversaries when we're going into things like Desert Storm, all the expected casualties, is because we don't because because we seem to forget how hard it is. To Wait be a minute. How did you guys day. take away this is easy from what I just said? Did I say no, easy? I'm, I'm just branching and seeing here, man. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not because I, I I would moderately push back against that narrative just for the just for the record. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but what I what I mean is is because it kind of gets into what we're going to be talking about later on. It's so goddamn hard to be really good at that when you're talking about across the spectrum of weather and terrain. Really hard. I mean, really hard. And I think that's one of the things that we constantly undersell of our, ourselves and oversell with others is it's fucking hard to be an infantryman and be good at it yeah we go we go through it in great detail all the different things uh not just in ground combat either but uh i mean when, when you're playing football 11 guys against 11 guys or baseball nine guys against nine guys set time frame everything's equal as far as terrain goes uh, but then when we start talking, like we were talking about the the, uh, the saga of the uh, the tin can sailors, where the uncertainty is so much of it, and uh, and you don't really know what the capabilities are of your fellows, what suffering they've had, what casualties they've taken, and yet you still have to, uh, you know, they say, well, hope. I hate these fuckers who say hope is not a koa. Oh, you must be a tough guy. Hope is not a koa. <laughs> you don't know anything else. You're just hoping that the other motherfucker's okay. Or if he's a bad guy, that he's not okay, you know. So you gotta um, and and, you're you're, and because the, the the whole in the whole uncertainty thing and being comfortable in an environment where you're gonna have about maybe ten, twenty, maybe thirty percent of the stuff you need to make a decision, but the decision is gonna get made, and you've got to be comfortable in that realm. I, I will tell you this, my. Watching my while, dad. While you're cold and wet. While you're cold and wet, and the weather is kicking your ass. W- the whole basis for the decision making class was the way I grew up. Watching like the, the, a tactical event on a nightly basis, and then watching lieutenants who couldn't do any of it, right? Who and, and again, um, who struggled to do it, and they were, I mean, smart, smart young men and women, uh, good athletes, tough, right? And then a couple of blanks would go off, boot it, beep, 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 
and you get the uncoordinated flanking attack that would spontaneously bust out that would never happen in a million years if there was a real round anywhere near. And you just saw this gridlock, this mental gridlock. And I, you know, and, and, and I thought, okay, so how do you teach this? What have they been taught other than what now, Lieutenant, when you're queen for a day, right? Um, make a decision. And, and, that, and that was really like, okay, so I didn't know any of this stuff. I mean, how do you how do you teach somebody this? How do you get them comfortable in this in this realm of decision dynamic decision making, right? Um, with great uncertainty, and then and then trying to get them comfortable with you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be relentless in the fight, right? Because you're gonna fuck it up, right? And and you've got to be relentless and. And, and be decisive and you know you're fortunate because you're a marine with all that america has behind you and you know you if you're relentless you'll win uh, but that's not the way we got taught right because it's impossible i mean the lieutenant doesn't get his to weapon until he gets to his first unit and so we do the best we can he's lieutenant for a day he's platoon commander for a day he's squad leader for a day it, but it's not the same. It's not even remotely the same. And so consequently, the guy uh, doesn't really know. He's shocked when the men just do what he says sometimes. He's like, you mean you're not going to call me an asshole and bitch at me and shit, you know? Well, you know no, sir. He tells us to do. We'll, we'll fucking do it. So he doesn't really know. You know. They don't really know. You don't get to use that TO weapon and practice with it until they actually get to their first unit. And then they inherit the fucking five divorce guys. The, the two guys in jail that you got to go visit in fucking CC. Remember Volts, Will? I go see Volts, fucking arm robber. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's like all that other. And here I was. I had a lot of experience as a platoon sergeant, a recon team leader and shit, you know. And, uh, but it was different because, uh, because I had that coin of the realm. I had that commission, man. You know, even though I was only a fucking brother bar, you know, it was different. It's different and it's. Uh, Explain you know, that because Jeff, people. And obviously, there's a difference between being the yes or no guy and right. the be the make it work guy, right? Yeah. Y- yes or no guy is different. You just kind of touched on that. Yeah. Well, it's like that's the good thing about the Marine Corps, and that's the hard thing about it. They don't agonize over making sure you have a lot of guidance, and they shouldn't because um, they have no idea the challenges you're going to face trying to get your little piece of the big mission done. And so consequently, you know, they're, they're not going to your company commander is not going to want to hear excuses of, you know, my guy, two of my guys turn their ankle or nothing like that. He just wants to, you to do the fucking job and you got to figure out a way to do it. And if you got challenges that, you know, no one can help you with, you got to overcome them. And so consequently, through your whole career, you get jobs that have nothing to do with, uh, you know, infantry combat. But like when I was on recruiting duty, it was uh, I, I had no fucking idea how to not get fired. And uh, how to how to succeed at this thing, you know, and uh, but you figure out a way to get by, you know, and uh, or you or you or you get axed, you know, and because the Marine Corps is harsh and unforgiving mistress, you know, and uh, we that's why we love her. You know what I mean? But uh, but, you know, that's the thing. If you can't get the job done like that Alec Baldwin scene in uh Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where he's talking about selling real estate. You know, you can't close shit. You are shit. It doesn't matter that, you know, the, the challenges you had. 
you still got to do it. You know what I mean? At the same time, though, what, what that does to a leader, especially a leader as he gets more senior, when he does see um, situations that are, you know, insurmountable for his guys, he's got to take that into account. And the whole art form of being a good commander is putting your guys in a position where they're more likely to win, more likely to succeed than to fail. And don't just call it on them. You just do it, motherfucker, you know, or else you're fired. You know, I've seen that. I've seen both types, sometimes in the same guy at different times. But yeah, it's a, I mean, you could, <coughs> we could talk about that for years. <coughs> wow. Who's coughing? It's Tim. I got, got the move on. Yeah, 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 you did. <laughs> you might want to go see a doctor. I mean, have you just participated in some kind of lung event? Um, <laughs> if I can make a, if I can make a recommendation, you might want to go see somebody, uh, or go to the pharmacy a few minutes away. Uh, no, I I find that I find that fascinating. You know, dynamic decision making. Um, you know, and we'll talk about the Ukraine, but. Um, as, as you know, I think we all kind of went down that road. Um, you, you looked at what the Germans and the Russians did on the Eastern front and the scope of what they did right in this, in these dynamic events, whether you talk about the battles of encirclement and, or, you know, all these different things that the, the way they fought and the decisions that got made. And, and it's just, you look at that and you're like, holy shit, man. Holy shit! But I, I I find it fascinating, um, and and again we're watching some of it play out in real time. You know the dynamic decision making of nation states that are either going to throw one way or the other, and the the implications of that, all the all the Texas two step that's being done around it, and uh, so uh, hey, so Matt, why don't go ahead? One thing though, how many times did all four of us and others of us sit there and say to each other? How could they take the most interesting, fascinating thing in the world, infantry combat, and turn it into a boring fucking piece of shit? <laughs> you know, you know, if you listen to these classes, you know, sometimes, depending on the dude who was teaching, you're like, how could he take between the attack and turn it into this boring thing? I'd rather, I, I mean, it sucks, man. You know, it's like, uh, it's watch, 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 listen to a badminton game, uh, you know, being called. You know? Remember? Yeah, that well, is a true statement. No, it's like, why can't it be fun and interesting? Right. You'll probably get more. They'll probably get more out of it. You'll get more bang for your buck, right? In the Peloponnesian Wars, you know, <laughs> <laughs> their eyes are rolling in the back of their head, right? Oh, my God. Um, Timmy, start with you. Um, we're all watching events in uh, Eastern Europe. Uh what broke squelch for you? We'll go around and talk about that. What broke squelch for you uh, this week, just watching the news? Well, the, the, the apparent talk of deploying Americans, I guess, one country over, obviously broke squelch, as did the, uh, the ramped-up delivery of, of uh, the anti-tank uh, guided missiles. And so it seems like all the intelligence agencies are certain that uh, that there's going to be an invasion, which is a pretty good indication that there will not be an invasion. But if there is an invasion, the one thing that 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 I would be interested in seeing is how do you take this armored heavy force and start attacking ATGM belts? Because you've got a significant uh, um, standoff capability. 
with these modern uh, um, uh, uh, guided missiles. You know, they about double. It's what four clicks on the on the on the on the upgraded uh, Swedish models, and a and a and a Soviet tank can engage in what two kilometers. So, it's got a it's got a. I will be interested to see how they prevent a lot of loss of armor because it was it's just like when the Kurds were being abandoned by Trump and everybody was going crazy. And I said on the show at that time, hey, those Kurds have got ATGMs and they're pretty damn good with them. I think the Turks can get their ass kicked, which is, a uh, well, they actually, they, the Turks knew they had them too, and they never put themselves in a position to get their ass kicked. Meaning that Putin, if he launches, he's got to deal with some pretty serious obstacles, and he can he could lose a lot of stuff unless he does what he needs to do to suppress the anti-tank threat, and that means artillery on a large and massive scale. And I, I, I don't think he's going to be able to pull that off. I mean, he could do it, but I don't think it's going to play well. Okay. All right. Um, anybody have a comment about that before we flip over to Jeffrey? Well, uh, one other comment. It, it will be, it, if, if it goes where the ATGMs start whipping the, whipping the shit out of them, it validates the Commandant's fourth uh, design 2030, because that's why he got rid of the tanks. ATGMs are going to make the tanks irrelevant. I guess we're going to see exactly how that plays out on a modern battlefield, potentially. I don't think it was the ATGM. So I mean, it was the, the drone, the ATGM. It was a whole complex that comes at you now, you right. know, from uh, from the air and 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 also, I mean, the ATGM certainly. But I mean, that's been around forever, and we still had tanks, and they were still formidable. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think I think they've gotten a little bit better with the top up, you know, the top down attacks and what have you. But we'll have to we'll have to see. I, right. I for one, don't agree with this assessment. I think it's a little bit early. But we may well see if uh, if the Soviets do do this and they get their asses handed to them, it'll be it will be an interesting validation of the force design 2030. Somehow, I don't think it's going to work out quite that simple. Got it. Comments, questions. Jeffrey, uh, yeah. what's broken squelch for you this week watching all this? Well, it seems to me that it's not the Russians making noise or the Ukrainians making noise, saying that, in the Ukrainians' case, we're about to get invaded, help us, like Hungary was doing right before the 1956 Russian invasion, you know, or Soviet invasion. And, this, and, the, and the Russians haven't been raising the bullshit flag where we're going to take this for the last. This is all from the United States, specifically our command authority saying this may happen. It's like, and so my, my question to myself would be why? And... The answer is to draw attention away from something else they're more worried about. And they're not, I think that our our, our command authority is uh, is guilty of malfeasance, big parts of it. And consequently, they don't want this stuff to come rolling out, particularly with the Chinese. And, uh, and so I think that this thing is a lot of baloney, really. You know, I mean, I don't, I mean, you can't deny the advantage that, you know, the fact that, Vladimir Putin wants to bring back it's a gut-wrenching thing for him to be such a you know dedicated KGB guy and stuff for all those years and then have everything fall apart how would we feel if uh you know Florida was now part of its own country and Arkansas was its own you know that's how they it seems like that's how he presents it when he's talking to westerners how he feels about the breakup of the Soviet Union Union would be how we would feel if our states broke up like that and uh and so but He's not really making those noises. I'm looking back through the history of this thing. Most of the 
the the squawking and caterwauling is coming from our own White House. You know, it's coming from our own executive branch. And then it's being picked up by parts of the media. And uh, so I think it's, you know, a big canard. There are 100,000 troops on the border, though. I mean, that's a fact. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But it seems like the Ukrainians aren't that worried about it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Or they're like, uh, you know, maybe he could. It seems like he wants to denigrate NATO. I could see where he would want to do that. He wants to keep NATO from getting more members who are closer to the eastern, uh, you know, his his border with like uh, Poland and stuff like that. He doesn't want any more, you know, NATO countries and stuff. But uh, if there ever was a toothless tiger with no, you know, um, no reputation for, you know, for land acquisition. It's got to be NATO. The only thing that NATO does good is when they got us into a lesser extent, the Brits. Oh, they feel and good party. Basically because, and because the Germans are beholden, thanks to our president, they're beholden to the Soviet Russians for their natural gas, for their energy. I, they're not going to play. They're not going to, they're not going to, you know, screw with the Russians. So I don't see, you know, I really, uh, I'm so much back and forth with this thing. Sometimes I was thinking like, yeah, he's going, Ukraine. It's going to be, it's going to be like Barbarossa, except in the other <laughs> direction, right? You know, Rosa Barbara, I guess you call it, you know. But uh, <laughs> instead of red beard, it's beard red, you know. But uh, but now I'm starting to think this whole thing is just, uh, you know, it's to keep the uh, attention away from the fact that, um, you know, we, we got a lot of folks in our government owned by the Chinese, and that's a bad. Not only our government, our you know academia, you know um, uh, big tech, they're owned and they love the fact that they're owned by the Chinese. It seems like, and that's a big dangerous thing. Well, um, yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me was uh, the Ukrainian president. You know, when we said we're going to take. Uh, American official American families out of Ukraine. You know, he he really went against that, and uh, I don't know if that's just what you got to do, um, or you know, I, I can't understand what the game would be if it's a game. And so, you know, as Jeff said, he doesn't seem overly excited about it. Um, so that was one thing. And then just all the inter uh, intra-NATO squabbling about, you know, can you ship these weapons that the Germans license to whoever the Danes or somebody? I didn't even pay that close attention. And can the Brits overfly Germany with these things? And um, it, uh, it, it, it should make people question what is NATO. And, uh, you know, up until 1991, it was easy to define what NATO was, right? It's keep the Americans in, the Russians out, and the Germans down. That was, that was NATO. And since then, um, it appears to be, you know, a bureaucracy on a flywheel just going to keep going because that's what we do and there's a lot of people 
you know, inside NATO, and there's a lot of other entities, military industrial complex, they're very interested in NATO. And, you know, you, you take Churchill's sort of maxim to heart, it's better to fight with your allies than without them. But at some point, what are we really fighting with our allies? I don't know. And so those two things, and I'll be very honest with you, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to this stuff uh, this week because I don't, I don't know where a good source would be. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. it, it just, uh, you know, there's nothing on the spectrum of ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, CNN, Wall Street Journal, Washington Times, Washington Post, New York Times. There's none of that that I could take and read at face value. And so I don't know if I have a good source, so I just ignored it. <coughs> That's a yeah. good point. The thing that broke squelch for me was just watching the Germans um, and, you know, NATO, I mean, largely a paper tiger except for the United States. Um, the rest of Europe has stood down their military for the most po part. I, I mean, they have boutique uh military things uh, on very small scales and you know they become part of they plug those into what we do somewhere in the world and they're part of this grand coalition as they contribute a squadron or a battalion or something like that and then something like this begins to rumble and uh, it's kind of interesting in a historical basis that we don't have the, the we don't have the means to defend ourselves and so watching the Germans, um, uh, and it was interesting when the UK evidently wanted to fly weapons to Ukraine. Um, they flew around Germany. And mm -hmm. word got into the media that the Germans denied uh, the, the overflight request. And the Germans said, no, 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 we didn't deny anything. And then you heard the back channel source say, we were told they would deny it. We didn't want to embarrass them publicly and embarrass the alliance, so we never even asked. We just did what we needed to do. And so you, you watch that, and then what the howitzers that, that I, Estonia wanted to send to there, they had to get you know the arms license. And, and so this thing that has been long predicted, that if, if you allow Putin to send these pipelines to you, he is only going to have more leverage over you and he's going to compromise you. You know, you're watching that play out. And so to me, um, now, and the question was, okay, well, will the NATO allies, will they call Germany out? And Germany doesn't, what does Germany contribute to NATO? A voice? Doesn't contribute much militarily because they don't have a military. And so, um, and you see the eastern, the more eastern members, right? The Baltic states, right? Uh, you see, you know, Poland. They all want American troops. You station them here now, right? And very irritated with Germany. So uh, I, I thought that very interesting and made me think of over the horizon, does NATO evolve? Does NATO exist without Germany? In, in a different form of, of members who who will, you know, pay to defend, who want, who see the need for it, because obviously Germany doesn't. Germany under Angela Merkel, the great enabler of of Russia on the continent. 
So I think I thought that was um, I thought that was uh, really uh, an interesting part of the last week's developments. Here's one for you. You know, how much does climate change have to do with this? <laughs> think through the thesis. Think through the thesis. The Germans got so enamored of climate change that they shut down their nuclear power plants. And they're beholden to exterior sources of energy to the point that they their geopolitical sort of uh, where they fit in the puzzle has completely changed due to hysteria uh, over this. And, um, you know, the, the gas market in Europe is... Uh, it's. I think it's like at a multiple of four, or multiple of five, the price of gas, what it is in the U.S. And so they're in a situation that they can't get out of anytime soon, that's for sure. And uh, so they're paying those rates, but they got to pay them or they'll freeze to death. Um, and it's due to this theory of climate change that they've swallowed completely uh, and there's real consequences to it now. You know, be careful of the green energy uh, revolution. You know, as people learned in Texas in peacetime, and, uh, you know, the Grand Strategic Alliance may end up being the casualty of it here. Yeah, it is amazing when you read, um, and, you know, you see it here in the United States. We don't have the renewable technology to supply, and then we're going to shut other things off. It's not well, like we're, it's, California mean, it, did it. yeah, it's, it's, it's the stupidest shit you've ever seen. And from its policy perspective, and all of a sudden you have rolling brownouts because we can't get enough power into the state. But, but you're assuming that the state leadership thinks that expensive power is a bad thing. And I would contend. No, no, no. What I'm saying to me is, they can't get the, even if it's expensive. They can't get the oh, quantity you know they need. The That's how much they miss it. You know, in terms of a policy. That's how badly. I mean, they miss it. Yeah, but I, 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 I get this this vision in my head of of the because I remember back in the Obama days when even Obama was saying you might have to pay four dollars for a gallon of gas. Blah blah blah. And what I'm thinking is is those people what they hate to see is a middle class that can afford dirt bikes and snowmobiles. That shit drives them crazy, it seems to me, from, from what I remember from back then, that being such a, a constant and consistent topic of conversation about the use of national lands. Snowmobiles and, and motorcycles it's, and, and ATVs, this is crazy. And I think that when it gets prices get to the point where you can't recreationally use combustible engines, that's goal number one chat. That to them, that's that's a that's a feature, not a not a not a not a not a, a problem with the plan, and that's definitely what they're doing in Europe. Yeah, Try but just, you know, now Russia is Europe's sort of Saudi Arabia, right? We've been beholden to Saudi Arabia for how many years, and we were finally became unbeholden to them, and it gives you freedom of action, and it actually in in some ways helped. Uh, more rational thought about the Middle East. Well, mm -hmm. Germany and and the rest of Europe, for the most part, are now beholden to 
you know, the great Satan, as they see him in Putin. Um, Which is promoting more irrational thought relative to, right, diplomacy and, I mean, and foreign policy. Because it's it's like, okay, so Berlin, what do you think? Bond, what do you think? Crickets, 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 crickets. Oh, so it's okay if they overrun the Ukraine? Crickets, crickets, crickets. The Nord Tune, this is classic, right? Got asked about the Nord, what's that guy's name? Sure, whatever. Uh, the, the new, the new. The, the anti-Merkel. Yeah, the anti-Merkel. So anyway, he he gets asked about the Nord 2 pipeline. And he said, you know, that's a private project. That really shouldn't be considered in all of this. <laughs> but, like, but it's easy. It's easy for them to look at Russia they look at Ukraine, which has always been more or less sort of in Russia's orbit. 17% of the population is Russian speakers and want to be part of Russia. And that way you can start to make reasonable decisions that everybody can agree. Why not let a little bit more go to Putin? Why not let him keep the Crimea? They speak Russian there. Who are we? Who are we to, to, to interfere? See, it allows them to, to start equivocating, but... You're ignoring first principles, which I think is one of the things that will constantly hammers around. You're just ignoring first principles out of convenience because you got to be convenient because you need to heat your homes. And um, they don't have any liquefied natural gas terminals in Europe, apparently. So we can't help them anymore. And the Germans got a history, you know, of uh, reuniting those German speakers out here. There you go. It really didn't end well. Yeah. Yeah. They can watch the Russians do the same thing. What do they care? Yeah. So let's talk about um, it, you get to play Vladimir Putin. We'll let Jeff go first because I know this is a fantasy of his. He's always wanted to be Putin. He fancies himself as Putin. He has a little Putin suit that you'll see him in San Clemente some nights down at Sunny's. You're like, hey, who's that guy acting like Vladimir Putin? It's Jeff Kenny. Um, um, I go. I get on the merry-go-round instead of horse. <laughs> what uh, what would you do? I mean, so you you've orchestrated this event, right? On the pretext mm-hmm. of NATO threatening you, um, you've massed a hundred thousand troops. Um, what would you do? What do you think you would want out of it? So, Jeffrey, what would you you, you be Vladimir Putin? What would you what would you be doing? Well, I'd make my military uh, appearance. Those hundred thousand guys there, all the other forces he's got, you know, arrayed against uh, Latvia and Lithuania and all those places he has people. And uh, I would try and get con- me- basically meaningless con- concessions, but concessions nonetheless, and then declare victory and lord it over the, uh, you know, lord it over the uh, the NATO and lord it over, uh, you know, places like uh, like the Ukraine, you know, government of Ukraine and also government of uh, Hungary, government of Poland. You know, and uh, and and basically enhance my own image in the world without really doing anything, without killing anybody, really. You know, because uh, Timmy brought it up. If he goes, he goes invaded into the Ukraine. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be a fight. The Ukrainians are, they're, I mean, they're like the bulwark of the Soviet army back in the day, and you know the, uh, and even during the Second World War, I mean. Uh, you had the the Ukrainians who fought for the Soviet Union, who were no no joke. Any the U- Ukrainians who fought against the Soviet Union, even less of a joke. They're tough, you know. Yeah, and uh, hot sex. 
You know, and uh, so, you know, the the, uh, the thing about it is the, the depth of the hatred between Ukraine and Russia can't be discounted. I mean, in the 30s, the atrocities done to the population of Ukraine, of Ukraine by the Soviet Union was probably the worst uh, humanitarian disaster ever, even dwarfing what happened to the Armenians during World War One. That's right. The Turks. And so, but it's like the United States, in particular, our president, the much vaunted Franklin Roosevelt, and the New York Times, his mouthpiece, made excuses for what the Soviet Union was doing. There's a guy named Walter Durante, who they actually made a movie about him, with uh, John Huston's dad played him. And he's a hero for, for making excuses how it was Finland's fault they got, in, they got invaded by the Soviet Union and stuff. It was awful, awful time. And, uh, and the Ukrainians don't forget. My, you know, my wife is half Ukrainian. When her mom and then later her uncle passed away, I was up there in Frackville, up in the middle of the mountains of Pennsylvania, you know, coal mining country. Holy shit, man. It was like being back in the deer hunter. I mean, the mass was the whole mass is in Ukrainian and everybody spoke it. The only thing they were more, you know, uh, you know, uh, enthusiastic about than hating the Russians was loving America. I mean, loving old time America. So, I mean, you got those folks back there. I don't think it's going to be a rollover, you know, and uh, and Putin probably smart enough to know that, too. He's a KGB guy. You know, he knows the measure of his enemy. He wants to make it look like he's a tough guy with a lot of wasta. And I think that's what he's really after. And, and then, and in the end, what he'll do is he'll he'll uh, he'll denigrate NATO and maybe be able to get concessions from them about countries that maybe would go into NATO but now won't because he's so vehement against it. I think that's what's going to happen. All right. But you know what? I mean, usually life shows Jeff Kenny his ass. <laughs> So next week, <laughs> next week they go rampaging in there, and you know I, I I just have to not be on any podcast for a month. People, no, no. people forgot. <laughs> no, look, when you're an expert, all you got to do is reset your you reset your thing. Let me recalibrate what I said a couple of weeks ago. The uh, <laughs> well, uh, you're you're now you're Vladimir Putin. Now. What say ye, Vlad? I. I believe that most of this is for internal Russia consumption. Um, they're, they're sort of a, you know, they're, they're not, a, they're not a country like we are. That's for sure. Um, and he's been in power for a long time. There's no way he can leave power because uh, losers there don't get a nice pension, you know, and move to Martha's Vineyard. So um, I'm not sure that this isn't a thing to bolster his own prestige within the country. And so he needs something that looks like victory and victory. And, and look, I don't even know where the battlefield is this thing they talk about a hundred thousand troops being i have no idea where that is when you look at the map ukraine is massive i don't know if they got a 800 mile border with with russia i mean it's a it's big and so the idea of a hundred thousand troops so what's a hundred thousand troops two divisions you know 
with support, two divisions isn't going anywhere uh, in a place that big. And so, and, and one of the things that fractured the Soviet Union was Afghanistan and the casualties and the carnage it costs inside the country. Chechnya was doing the same thing to him. So the idea that he's willing to accept um, casualties that you would associate with modern armored warfare, I think, is not reasonable. So he's looking for victory, as Jeff said. And how that victory may be defined is, um, you know, he's already got the Germans kowtowing to him. Um, he's got he's got Biden very much sort of bolstering up, um, but how he can deflate that in a way that's sort of humiliating is a is where I think he's trying to go. Um, I, I don't really know what he wants in Ukraine. If what he wants is for them to be a member of the old Soviet Union, you know, I know, and he knows that that ain't going to happen. And so um, can he get something politically, make the government look weak, get a more pro-Russian government put in place, something like that? He, he wants that sort of victory that he can... Uh, put on and use internally. That's what I think. Uh, I just did a little on, on Google Earth, a little uh, path in miles, 1,300 miles from where the Ukrainian border touches Poland and Belarus, and then for, to the time it then wraps around down to the Crimea, um, thir- about 1,300 miles. So um, what? One map is what about thirty thousand? The division, the wing, MLG. Yeah, forty-five thousand. Okay, yeah. so a couple of meths um, yeah. that we're talking about in thirteen hundred mile, and that's the diameter. Once you go in, once you go in, and you're protecting MSRs and 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 logistics bases and stuff like that, that number, you know, goes down pretty quick. To me, your uh, your turn to be Vladimir Putin. Yeah, and just before, think about Fallujah. The second battle of Fallujah was two regimental combat teams. So if he's got two or three divisions, he's got six regimental combat teams. Fallujah was a really small place, right? Just it's not a lot of force. Right, hundred thousand people. Right. Yeah, and I and I find myself. Uh, um, in the the nightingale seat because i absolutely agree that that putin's aims are aimed towards the russian people i think we were talking about this earlier as this thing was was going on because he's got domestic domestic problems right now it it seems like he's in the catbird seat well, me, hey, well hold on let me ask you guys so i'm i'm not so steeped up on russian internal uh strife what is his internal political problem like, well, he's got lack of money. He's got money flight. Like China's got money flight. He's got oligarchs that may or may not cooperate with him in, entirely. But the, the, there's a reason why half of Dubai is full of rich Russians. You know, it's because no Russians keep their money in Russia. So that's been a problem for a long time. Just like the Chinese have the exact same problem. Chinese people don't want to keep their fortune in Chinese. They want it off the off the mainland. Obviously, 
to get out of that out of the the, the figures of, of of the the local whoever is in charge and China obviously being the party. So I think that he's got significant problems internally, let alone with not exactly a very booming economy, not a diversified economy, not a growing population. The population is olding, is 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 excuse me, it's aging. Its replacement rate is worse than ours, and ours is pretty bad. So he's got a lot of things to worry about internally. Externally, he seems to be in the Catsburg seat. All he's got to do is manipulate uh, uh, the president of the United States, and he can, for internal consumption, he can say, yeah, you know, these I'm, I'm pretty much dictating the tunes now in the world today. Because, I mean, it's not like the, the Biden administration has much to counter him. Playlists don't help from Tony Blinken. And, of course, the president's incapable of, of talking articulately for any space of time at all on anything. So it's, it's kind of – I think this is all for his internal consumption. If he grabs anything, it will be those places that are close to the border that are Russian-speaking. And he's just, you know, guarding the Russian speakers from retributions from the hated Ukrainians. Because Jeff is right that Mordor, that, that what they did to the Ukrainians – I talked about it once before. It's horrible. It's just you can't read books about it and sleep at night very comfortably. It's that bad what they did on a massive scale. What did you and, and you you more what, what I was talking about more That's what they call the right. That's it. I got that right. right? That's what they that's call the that catastrophe of the farms. Yeah, yeah. It was the Mordor is when they went to all the farms that and and basically stripped all the food, and then they would come back a week later if the family was still alive. They'd say. What the? What are you eating? What What haven't you given us? You You didn't kill them then, or let them starve to death. They killed all the dogs and cats before they did this, so that nobody could eat dogs and cats as they were starving them out. That's how well planned this was. And they claimed they claimed that those guys were like Russian Ukrainian uh, citizens who were doing it to their own people. Yeah. They're, they're really GRU and KGB guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, no, what they did was horrible. And, of course, that memory is going to be there. So I don't think Putin's going to want to go and entangle too much with them because the Ukrainians are not going to be like, eh, hey, we'll just give up and be Russians again. I don't think so. That's a lot of serious hatred right there, and, and justifiably so. It's all within, li- all within living memory. We're not talking, you know, Armenians. But, but shit, I mean, Armenians. Talk to Mitch Biondich about the Turks. Holy shit, bro. You know, because he's an Armenian. Yeah, I think Nikita Khrushchev was a Ukrainian. So, I mean, you had these, uh, you had, and like Leon Trotsky's Jewish fella. I'm not sure which part of the Soviet Union is from. Stalin was a Georgian. These guys are pretty eclectic in their uh, in their nationalities. But the one thing they had in common was they believed that their key to power was this canard called communism, and uh, and that. That legacy still exists, that and the hatred for it, you know. Yeah, I, I'm not so much on the up on uh, when Will says for internal consumption. I, I I think that this is aimed at the United States and breaking the United States out of Europe and getting the United States off um, Vladimir Putin's neck and giving him freedom to maneuver. And you know, those pipelines are better than any. ICBMs he's ever built. I mean, you know what? You may be right. If that's the case, all he's got to do is uh, is buy two of Hunter Biden's paintings and uh, <laughs> he get everything he wants from the president. Right? No, nah, man, the Ukrainians already got that. They they bought him already. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah no I kidding. think I think the thing they say about Hunter is once he's bought, he stays bought. 
Well, that was an admired Yeah, thing you got to respect that. You got to respect that. You got to respect that. <laughs> and so... Oh, uh, that's from, yeah, that's from Rome. So I, I think he's already got Germany compromised. And we're watching it play out in public, very awkwardly in public. And so does he break NATO by cleaving Germany because nobody can get Germany the amount of natural gas that it needs if Russia shuts it off? And so... Um, but I think ultimately, you know, Putin's probably the most formidable world leader, um, you know, and been doing this a while and, and understands it. He seems to be a pretty smart, shrewd guy, um, pretty rich guy, too. And so I, that's what I think. I, I think that, um, I mean, if he's successful, and, and to me, Germany and France will, will decide. And then what happens in the aftermath of that? If Germany and France, you know— essentially become Russian allies and, and continue to enable his behavior and don't push back, I mean, you're going to see, I mean, to me, the beginning of the fracturing of the post-World War II world. And, but, then, but, and, but, and then we'll see what, what gets put get, gets put back. I, and let me just make one more comment, and then you can have the floor to me. I don't believe, I agree with you guys, if he were to cross the line with, with his 100,000 and head into the Ukraine— he rolls the dice on a lot of shit, and he knows that. It, and if the Ukraine's, you know, uh, somehow or other, you know, you know, if they fight well, if, if, if they continue to be resupplied, blah, 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 and then the spring thaw comes, and then his mobility's decreased, and then now this thing's going to drag out like Afghanistan, and now he's facing these ATGM, I mean, these yeah, these anti-tank guided missiles. God forbid they have more drones. You know, blah 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 blah. And, and as you guys said, once that he crosses the, the line, he unleashes a whole bunch of variables that he's not going to control. And if it doesn't go well, does that does other satellites or what do we call them now, nations in the Russian orbit, do they look at that and say, "Hey, fuck you, man. You guys can't do shit in, in Ukraine." You know. Notice how I didn't say that Ukraine. No, you guys can't do shit in Ukraine, so fuck off. And does he does he then face more discontent at home? So to me, if he is a smart guy that I think he is, he rattles his saber. Maybe he goes into you know a little bit into Ukraine, but he doesn't go in too far. And he breaks it. He breaks Germany, right? He fucks up NATO, and he sends this message that he's the bad guy, he's the tough guy, and everybody ought to pay attention to him. And the United States is weak. You saw them in Afghanistan, right? You see them now. They have a weak, they have a divided nation. They have a weak president, right? So we need to recalibrate this whole European continental thing without the United States. Timmy? So under the law of unintended consequences, let me, let me throw out a proposition to you that would sound insane normally, but now I'm not so sure. Biden sends this 5,000 people to wherever he's sending them. And all of a sudden, his improvement rate, his ratings go up. <laughs> what then? What? <laughs> By, what? It's the only thing Biden could, if, if. if well, Biden, first of all, could, you, could somebody up. explain to me what, we got 8,500 guys and they're on high alert. Yeah. Can somebody define what high alert is? Is that? It's, you're, you're muted, Will. Yeah. It sounded really, it looked really smart, but we didn't hear you. It's, you know, it's a ready brigade from the 82nd. That's 
four and a half thousand and whatever other support. That's high. That's they're high, always on high alert. That's high alert. They're always yeah. on high alert. Gotcha. You know, and Tim, the thing is, let's say that the president deploys these people to where? I, it doesn't matter. The, yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, who, so they go to Morocco. Who, I'm just saying, who in the United States is in favor of that? I don't know. Nobody I, hey, in the Democratic Party, right? They're the anti-war party. Hey, There's man, nobody. More people voted for him than voted for Donald Trump. So uh, I right. got to mention this. No, no, but, but think about something. it. They are, they yeah, are the anti-war party. <laughs> I know, I know. I just, I just had to throw it out there. Just the wag the dog thing just seems so improbable. Normally, right now, I can see him saying, "Hey, it's working. Let's get some of the Five hundred guys are. They're all the extra people who voted for, uh, for Biden. <laughs> he said more. Like, for instance, Joe Frazier and um, and Willie Billy Penn, the guy on top of the thing in Philly. You know, William Penn, all those guys who voted in the last election. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, Todd Lincoln, all of those guys. Yeah. The Ghost Army. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I don't think it would happen. Good. Yeah, yeah it's... Um, all right, what are you reading? Any any final comments about it? Is there anything that you're paying... Um, what's the next thing that drops? I, I like it when he sits there and does nothing. He just... Like everybody's waiting for him. It's like he, it's like he's like a little kid who's seeking attention, and he's like fired his whole fucking thing up, right? <laughs> and the world wants to hear from him, and he's like, "I'm not saying nothing." And again, but I think you guys, I mean, he knows what happens if he lights that bitch off. And and as you know, and we've talked about this before. Your military power is at its strongest point before you use it, right? right? Once you unleash it and you and you begin to, you know, again, hopefully your enemies get the memo that they're supposed to like roll over it and not fight. But what we've seen, right, in the fighting that we participated in, what happens if they don't get that memo and say, fuck you, I don't care about your drones. We'll come back. Yeah. We'll die. And as you said, you know, I mean, the hatred. I mean, that's I mean, that's part of the culture, that hatred. Right. Yeah, that's no joke, man. That's no joke. And now, you know, they've they've read about what? Uh when did Ukraine become a sovereign nation? What year was it? Ninety one, ninety two. So we're talking yeah. about we're talking about thirty years, a generation, right? Of 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 Ukrainians learning Ukrainian history that Ukrainians wrote. Yeah. Right. Well the the you know, the big the urban, le- I don't even think it's urban legend, but the, apparently Putin's the most hated guy in, in history to Putin is uh, Mikhail Gorbachev for, uh, you know, making moves that basically led to the breakup of the Soviet Union. And for just that reason, because he didn't think it was necessary. Where, where, where was Gorbachev from? Uh, Gorbachev is, I think, a Russian. He's from the land of... Uh, of Guys with red birthmarks on their forehead. <laughs> the Rojas crew. <laughs> that's not a ta- that's not a gang tattoo. That's a uh, astral natural <laughs> event. No, yeah, it's like yeah, that's the uh, thing. He, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's actual Russian, like Putin. Got it. The, the other I th- the other thing I found interesting is you have these. I think world clowns, and I think Emmanuel Macron is one of them. 
you know, I mean, he starts spouting his alternate view of reality. And you're like, first of all, you do not have the economy or the military to do anything that you're talking about. Right. And so I, it's just it's just amusing watching this nonsense. But anyway, and the, the Canadian guy, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trudeau. Trudeau. Yeah. He's not one like that, Mac. God, goofy, man. Yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. And again, it's. Uh, all right. Uh, what are you reading, Jeff? Nothing. I mean, I've been this last week. I've been uh, busy doing logistical stuff besides the, the job. I just haven't been reading. The only thing I've been reading is um, I, I'm I'm going to buy that book Red Handed by um, um, oh, what's his name? Schweitzer. Schweitzer. Yeah, I want to get that book. And uh, but I, what I've been reading, this is you guys. It's like a guilty pleasure of mine. So I. In my, I woke up one morning and I realized, in my mind, I had the phrase "the American boys," so I googled it. The American boys are these guys who work for Al Capone, and they're the main suspects in the uh, St. Valentine's Day massacre. And it's uh, their names are Fred Getz, Crane Neck Nugent, Fred Burke, and uh, one other guy, oh uh, Ron Carey, and they were just. And they no one recognized them because they weren't from they weren't city boys. They were rural dudes who had been in World War One and knew how to run. They knew how to handle automatic weapons, which was a novelty then. You know, Thompson submachine guns, BARs. And so the first murder they did was Frankie Yale in 1928. They used the same Thompson to kill him that they later used a year later in the same Valentine's Day massacre because. Uh, when that happened, they got this police uh, or this colonel, retired army colonel, who said, you know, I was involved in developing these weapons to try and win World War One. And uh, er when you when you shoot a weapon like that, it leaves five like fingerprints on the round, one in the chamber on the on the cartridge casing, another one from the extractor on the bullet, another one from the ejector. And another one in the in the barrel, and it's like a fingerprint. That's the dawn of uh, of how to identify which weapon shot which gun. And so they figured out that two of the t the the two first of all exonerated the Chicago police because the, when they shot those guys in the St. Valentine's Day massacre, they were wearing police uniforms. Some of the guys, that was a dodge that this guy Fred Burke liked to do. They found it was two Thompsons, one a 1921 Thompson, one a 1928 Thompson. One of them had a drum magazine of 50 rounds. The other one had a box magazine of 20 rounds. Two guys with five shot, 12 gauge shotguns, double up buck. And they shot those guys probably about 90 They got hit by about 90 projectiles from a distance of about six and a half feet. So wow. then, I mean, so it was about the whole, the whole rise of technology. And uh, all these guys ended up, they went, they died bad. Let me put it that way. You know, working for Al Capone as an American boy um, wasn't good, but they were effective because they knew what they're doing. But also, no one could recognize them. They looked like farm boys. They were farm boys. You know, so I looked at that and I learned all about that and I just spilled it out to you guys. But as far as uh, you know, developing myself, I haven't done shit like that. I've been doing this planning for logistics, moving our last of our stuff from uh, from San Clemente to. Uh, to uh, Vegas, getting a rental vehicle and all that crap that goes with it. So, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. You haven't read a book, 
but you thought of American Boys for some reason, and you found out all this information you just up. That's not a book. No, that's the I, shit you found out on. I googled you are, it. You are. That's why I love you, man. That is amazing. <laughs> like you got to read more than one Google thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, this isn't really. It's not really controversial. You know, like uh, the dudes who do Google, they don't give a fuck about the American Boys, so they just tell the truth. You know. But uh, but if it was something to do with now, you got to take it with a grain of salt, you know. There you go. Wow. What do you say? What do you say to that? I, yeah. I, I don't. I think it's good. Guilty pleasure reading is good. I mean, I think it allows the brain to breathe. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 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 all right. Um, I've never stayed in the San Clemente Inn. Lived in San Clemente for a lot of years, but I've never stayed in yes. the San Clemente this Inn. Place, when I got promoted to staff sergeant. Our sergeant major, first recon time, we were at Talega. We had a staff call in the San Clemente Inn. It was a big bar, and it was crawling with Westpac widows. Like, and so <laughs> we got drunk. It was a day I made sense. And he said, he he said, we're gonna have a bull in the ring in the fountain. There used to be a big fountain out here. So <laughs> we got in there. Within a couple minutes, it was red with blood um, from hitting our heads on the. And the cops came. And uh, Sergeant Major said, hey, Pete, hey, you know, Sergeant Major knew the cops. They made us get out, and they and the Sergeant Major promised to clean the blood out of the fountain. So they got a bunch of Lance Corporals who were on, who were on uh, you know, extra duty from Talega, and they had to go clean the blood up the next day. But, yeah, that was the day I made Staff Sergeant in October of 1981. Wow. Here I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a story for you. There's no fucking fountain here anymore. So. <laughs> but yeah. Jeff was going to inspect it for blood stains and then go after those Lance Corporals. Yeah. There That's you right. go. There you go. Timmy, what are you reading? Oh, I, I, I went back and I grabbed because because what we because we seem to have stumbled upon a bunch of books about the Brits in the 18th century, I got all for the king's shilling. The British Soldier Under Wellington, 1808 to 1814, by Edward J. Coss. And what this is a book about is basically the unjust, unjust slander of the British, uh, a ranker back in those days, as being scum and from uh, what was it that Wellington said? They're scum from the worst tavern and what have you. But as as we know, criminals and drunkards don't make good soldiers. And so what this guy did is he went back through the regimental rolls. Jeff would argue with you on that. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, chronic drunkards, not not binge drinkers. That's a whole different. Not episodic drinkers. Drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the drunk part was part of how the the, the English soldiers built morale. But what he did is he went through the enlistment records, looked at what the people had been doing as a trade, what the most common trade was, and basically he he tried to explain how the British Army could fight when. They weren't fed enough caloric intake to, to, to even live. The officers never looked after them whatsoever. And uh, and basically, they were kind of like on their fucking own in, in the Peninsula War. It wasn't like they were getting logistical food up to them. Maybe once a week they would. And so it's a very interesting uh, examination of what where that fighting spirit came from. And it came from the six-man mess unit. Was uh, that was basically what his conclusion was? Was was they were indoctrinated into their mess, which was about six men according to the size of the mess messling, and it was the 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 standards of the mess were what motivated the men, not letting those men down or whatnot. But 
But holy shit, did those guys live rough, man? This is—it's amazing reading about the conditions they fought in, with barefoot for essentially, uh, you know, doing a uh, uh, fighting in, in Portugal in the middle of winter. God, that's got to suck. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't sound like. Doesn't sound yeah. like. <clears throat> doesn't seem like the. What I see in the movies, it's not yeah. what I'm picturing when I see, like. Uh, Zulu Dawn or one of those movies where you see them in their red tunics and polishing buttons and they're they have some good looking boots in those movies I'm gonna tell you and yeah they have some pretty cool covers too so yeah. that's not I don't know what you're getting that shit Timmy but you might wanna you wanna che- yeah. you might wanna yeah, check with ho- books, a Hollywood script writer before you go no, too far in that but I highly it's part of a series and I I I don't see it on the on the cover but it's oh I'm sorry there's a series page Camp, campaigns and commanders. Um, which is a series from oh, got up all kinds of people on here from uh, from America and uh, British military organizations. Pretty cool, but it's a, it was a it was an interesting and well 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 researched and easy to read book, and I enjoyed it. Wow, that the was only... like moderately l- like a literary review you just did. Yeah, it was great. Hey, yeah, I'm no, I'm, no, no, I'm impressed. That's awesome. Hey man, Jeff, Jeff did a better review off of just searching. I know, but it didn't sound like a literary review. He just uh, talked about what he read, what he likes, getting then getting in a fight in the San Clemente Inn. Yeah. He covers it all. No, but what you just said, you said it was easy. It was easy to read. It was well written. That was yeah. like that was like literary. I just wanted to say it. Uh, no, very, I appreciate it very, I'm, very impressive. I was something that's like something on the American and okay. Lisbon. The, the the battle of two eight in nineteen eighty eight in Lisbon uh, against the Lisbon cops uh, that's an epic one with Colonel Broderick Lieutenant Colonel Broderick the battalion commander who led his men in the ass kickery of uh, Levin, the uh, Lisbon cops there is a story yeah. the uh, William how about you what are you reading yeah so I I finished a book False Alarm by Bjorn Lomborg. So the subtitle is uh, Climate Change, Panic, Costs Us Trillions, et cetera, et cetera. So Bjorn Lomborg is a real lefty who runs a think tank in Copenhagen. Uh, but his thesis is, is that uh, climate change is real, but everything we're doing about it is stupid. And then what we ought to do is focus on human development, economic development, get rich, and all this stuff will take care of itself. And the book is several hundred pages. Uh, The only way it would be better is if he just, he repeats a lot of things over and over. But there's a lot of good statistics in there uh, about um, what we do and what its effect would be on the temperature at the end of the century. And basically everything that we're doing will have no effect on the temperature at the end of the century. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, so I finished that, and then I picked up a book that my son read and told me to look at. It's called The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. Whoa. A guy named Bernard Balin, B-A-I-L-Y-N, 50th anniversary edition. So this thing was written in the 60s, Harvard professor, what he does is he gets into all of the pamphlets and thoughts, uh, ancient, enlightenment, et cetera, uh, that were circulating in the colonies during the time of the revolution and sort of breaks it down. And there's some great stuff in here. 
Uh, first, this is a this is a book that if you're a graduate student in history, this is the kind of book you'd read. Very dense, um, a million footnotes. But there's a quote in here that a guy was talking about the Stamp Act. And he said, mm-hmm. when tyranny is abroad, submission is a crime. And it just makes me think how often uh, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme, right? Mm-hmm. When tyranny yep. is abroad, think of tyranny in your own personal life, uh, international relations, whatever. When tyranny is abroad, submission is a crime. That and that's the watchwords. Intellectual origins of the American Revolution? Ideological origins of the American Revolution. Bernard Balin, B-A-I-L-Y-N. Okay. Pulitzer Bancroft Prize, back when the Pulitzer Prize meant something in the six. This guy was writing at Harvard in the 60s uh, about this, and it had nothing to do with, you know, race, creed, color, national origin, social, yada, yada, yada. It was about what these guys thought, where they got their thoughts from, what they wrote about, what it meant. Um, But it's, uh, again, it's dense. I've been at it for four days. I'm on page 76. So, yeah, yeah, it's a book that you read and you gotta. Yeah, that's something read you would love history books, man. No, it's like yeah. reading Coddington's book on get uh, <laughs> Gettys- the Gettysburg yeah. campaign, right? Seven hundred pages, and there's yeah. another four hundred pages of footnotes. Man, you be through that in a few months. Yeah, a problem, and it's it's not a problem. A thing about this book is he's talking about several writers, whether they're ancient, enlightenment, or current of the 18th century, and sometimes he talks about them as if you know who those people are and what they're talking about. <laughs> and maybe graduate students in history in Harvard in the 60s knew those things, <laughs> but not so much anymore. So anyway, still, it's, uh, it's an interesting read because, again, you know, what is this country about and why is it about those things? And it matters today as much mm-hmm. as it mattered in 1775. Well, you know what? It's interesting. Um, what we're seeing play out in Washington, D.C. is is exactly the why the, the nation got built the way yeah, it got built. It's a scenario that was predicted right. by it the was founders. A narrow majority will not be able to take this country and turn it left or right. And and you're seeing all you know the bicameral legislation you know blah 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 all the things that were, they put in place so that that change would be difficult so it's very interesting I've been reading about uh, guilt kind of interesting um, I would tell you guilt boils down to two types one is that which is truly merited something that you in fact um, earned through your um, through a misdeed of some sort. Um, and then that which we talk ourselves into. Um, and it, it reminded me of something General Zinni said, Colonel Zinni said in his things. He said, you know, I, I'm hesitate. You know, I'm always getting hit up. I can almost quote him. I'm always getting hit up for my combat experiences. But I'm reluctant because as time goes by, I see things happening in a sequence and maybe there be a cause and effect relationship that there really wasn't when it happened. It was more random, right? Right. 
as we join this fight, these guys show up on our right. It's not, you know, they were just, they were lost and were trying to link up with somebody and they wind up, I mean, stuff like that. And, um, but, you know, kind of guilt in that respect that people, you know, they put these things together and they say, yeah, no, it was actually my, my fault. I should have been able to see that. So it's it's been kind of interesting. And then, but I, I have a question for Will. Well, actually, if you would explain, maybe you could, maybe you, maybe we could do this next week. But container shipping and the whole containerization and the standardization of the containers and what that's done to the globalization of trade and the bringing down the price of transportation throughout. Um, yeah, very, um, very narrowly. Think about the container was meant to get to keep longshoremen from pilfering, right? Everything used to be in like they call it break bulk, so it goes on a pallet, goes on a hook, you put it down into the ship, yada yada yada, and so the longshoremen were thieving from all of that. So that was one reason for containering. Uh, the second reason is. It's just a hell of a lot faster to load and unload ships that way. But it absolutely revolutionized the industry. The guy, I want to say it was in the late 50s that he invented the shipping container. And you think about it, it's a steel box. Uh, if you ever see anything, they, they, call, they quote him in T-E-U, Tango Echo Uniform. 20-foot equivalents. There are really very few 20-foot containers now. Ocean-going containers are typically 40-foot. Some are 20-foot. Domestic containers are typically 53-foot. Same, if you if you look on the side of a semi, often you'll see 53. Right. So what happens in L.A., for example, all those containers come in, 40-footers, they take them to a facility they call a cross dock. So on one side of the warehouse, all those 40-footers are coming in. And on the other side, there's 53-foot containers. And basically, you can take three 40-foot containers and stuff it into two 53s. Those 53s go inland, either on train or on truck. And those 40-footers go back to China, typically empty. We used to film with trash, but we don't export anything to China. So a lot of them go back empty. And there was a time when the United States was overrun with containers because it was cheaper for the Chinese to build a new container in China than for us to ship the container back to them. But it, it did absolutely revolutionize international shipping. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's the three minutes on the container. So, so the shipping container, my sense was that the shipping container was the same container that then went on the flatbed truck or the rail car, and that's not the case? Uh, typically not. Um, because you, you will see some ocean containers inland, but not very often, very low percentage. Uh, the When you're doing logistics, you want to turn your assets rapidly. Right? You buy a capital asset, you want to use it as many times as you can. And so the people that own those shipping containers, they want to keep them on the ship because once they go inland, you can lose track of them, right? Just different systems. And it's more efficient to put 53-foot containers 
as truckloads, basically, to send that stuff inland. So it's, you, you will sometimes, in L.A., you'll see ocean containers moving around. But typically, they're not going to distribution center. They're going to a, to a transshipment, cross-stock type facility. God. Some might be going to distribution in L.A., but not very many. But you won't see any of, you won't see any, not any. You'll see almost zero 20 or 40-foot containers in Kansas City or in Chicago or Memphis. You know, you'll see them in and around port cities for the most part. All right. Um, one quick question. Is that revolution really what enabled international trade on the scale of what it is today because it dropped the cost of, of transportation? So the fact that we have Target, Walmart, Home Depot, you know, full of Chinese goods, is it as much to do with, with the shipping and, and bringing that cost down and this standardization um, than anything yeah, else? It was de- that was definitely an enabler of it. Without it, you know, you can't do the logistics that Walmart, Target, Home Depot, that they all do. So it was an absolutely an enabler to it. But in cor- shipping containers are around for a long time, since the 50s, I'm pretty sure. Right. 60s, yeah, 1955. Definitely. Yeah, according to Google, it brings the price per ton down from 5.86 to 16 cents. Holy That's- shit. Yeah, so that, that gives you an idea of the scale that you were talking about. That's what Google says. I'm sitting there just, just looking at the first thing that popped up. Yeah, I, I, I really, I, I can't remember. I was talking to somebody this week, and they were talking. They, they were, I, I, I should get the book they were reading because we were talking about it. And um, actually, I asked him, what are you reading? And he said, uh, I'm reading a fascinating book on, 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 sh- on containers and shipping. I said, I, and I made a note. I thought, oh, I should ask Will about that because I'm sure he'll he'll be able to wax eloquent about that. All right, boys. Well, first of all, always uh, again from the American boys to uh, to to the NFL. Right, it's all here, right on All Marine Radio featuring the Mensa Brothers. So uh, thank you very much. We'll talk to you in a week, and have a good night. Hey, man, safe travels when you go back east, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That'll do it on a Friday. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. If I can help you, everything on the website comes to me. Do not be afraid to use it. Have a great weekend. I'm off to North Carolina to hang out with the 2nd Marine Air Wing fired up for that too yeah so if you're in the second marine air wing stand the fuck by we got work to do anyway have a great weekend i'm mike mcnamara this is all marine radio have a great end of january we'll see you next week